everybody. Our first guest on today's Big Blend Radio Nature Connection show here in California, Sequoia Country in Porterville, California, is Sarah Dykeman. She is the founder of beyondabook.org and she's the author. She just totally rocks. Uh, she's the author of Bicycling with Butterflies, My 10,201 Mile Journey Following the Monarch Migration. So welcome, Sarah. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Hey, we're excited about it. Nancy's been digging into your book and uh, telling telling me all these kinds of stories and tales and um, you know really connected with nature. But um, I think really also I just got to give a shout out. You've, I mean, you've got so many accolades coming in. Jane Goodall, you got an email from Jane Goodall, like my hero. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was. I uh, definitely jumped up and down when I got an email from her and her her little blurb expressing how how important we telling stories about the monarchs is is was just very oh that was a good email <laughs> that's awesome yeah. that's that's really good awesome. to celebrate what mm-hmm. what led you to decide to get on a bicycle and you know and cycle the migration because that goes through mexico all the way up through the rockies i mean that's quite a route uh, what led you to do that I love animals. In fact, when in your introduction, you were talking about the Sierra. I spend most of my summers in the mountains counting tadpoles, and I've spent the last five five summers or so um, in in the Sierra counting counting tadpoles. And I start that back up in, cool. in June, so I'm I'm super excited. But but I love animals, and I I think each animal has has a story to tell, and this the the way that we're going to give them voice and to get people excited about taking care of them is, is to tell their stories. And, and so I decided, well, I'm going to, I'm going to ride my bike with the Monarch and I'm going to learn as much as I can about the Monarch. And along the way, I'm going to be their voice and I'm going to tell their story and I'm going to get people excited. And, and there's a lot of different roles that stewards and conservationists need, need to take to tackle all the problems that we're facing and all the challenges that there are. And for me, my I think my role is is to make conservation fun and exciting, mm. and to just remind people that that in their own backyards are these incredible travelers. So you're a traveler, I'm a traveler, but but like for folks that can't do that, well, the, the travelers can come to them, and they can plant gardens in their yard, and they can invite these these epic migrants to visit and and be part of the the adventure in that way. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. I think that's really right about it being fun and. You know, at one point, it's like if if anybody has any more finger pointing, they're just going to shut down. And especially for our youth, to get our youth involved, and that's something I know you, as you were cycling around, you spent time with kids and going to schools. What was that like? I mean, they must have had, did they look at your bike or like go, what are you doing? And did you get outside <laughs> the, with them with butterflies? I did. I did all of the above. So my, I've done other other adventures, and it was important to me to, to share my experiences and my stories with kids because I feel so lucky that I can take the time to, to do these things. And I wanted to share with kids that, it's like, I'm a normal person, and 
you don't have to be like the best or the brightest or the smartest or the bravest or any of that. You just need to like have an idea and, and go with it. And so I actually mm-hmm. talked to almost 9,000 kids on my, on my butterfly trip. And I just love talking with kids. They're so excited about the world. They are full of hope and possibility and, mm-hmm. and they have the best questions. And I'm reminded of after one presentation, this little girl came up to me and we're just like, I'm, I'm packing up my stuff. I'm putting my tent back in. I always would get my tent out and we'd see how many kids we could fit in it. I, mean, I think my record was like 15 kindergartners. Um, so it's like, look, my house is actually quite big. I just fit 15 of you in it. But this little girl came up to me after as I'm packing up and she just looks at me and she just goes, is any of this real? <laughs> and I just loved it because... That's what we need, right, is we need to, like, show kids that, like, it doesn't have to be what you've heard of before. It doesn't have to be something that other people do. Like, you just have to go do it. Your And and just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean it's not possible. So, yeah, it is real. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Well, also, I think that right now, you know, the whole COVID thing and, you know, looking at climate change, I think there's fear for young kids. I think there's a scary element for them. It's like, what, what's my life going to look like? You know, and to make it fun, it makes it attainable. When something's fun, you know, you can go out and do it. You know, it's like, okay, let's, let's rock this, you know? So I I really, I like that part that keeping it fun. Nancy, um, you really got into this. You're, you've been giving me book reports like every five minutes. Well, there's so much in it. Um, and I know all different, there's different butterflies and they're probably all different as far as lifespan and what they eat, but it cleared up a lot of things, things that I was taught. Like I remember being taught that butterflies only live one to two days. And now I know Mm. that that's not, yeah, that's not true. And they only, they, they go from flower to flower to flower. And maybe that's not so true either. Like it seems to me that the um, yeah the monarchs really really just want milkweed. They don't really want any other plants. Is that so? Well, part of that's it's partially so. So the the monarch females when they are looking for plants to lay their eggs on, they are exclusively looking for milkweed. And for folks that don't know, milkweed is the only plant that the monarch caterpillar can eat. And they are, it's a, it's a, it's a plant that's toxic to most herbivores mm. and it has like this milky latex sap that's really sticky, but yeah. the monarchs have adapted to be able to eat the, the milkweed and actually sequester the toxic chemicals in their body, thus rendering them toxic. And that's why monarchs are bright orange. It's warning pre- potential predators. Hey, I'm not a tasty meal, but you should avoid mm. me. <laughs> but the, the monarch adults. They they are actually looking for lots of flowers for nectar. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty they're pretty opportunistic and and they'll they'll nectar on on any flowers they get. And that's especially important on the fall migration. So if you live on the route of the monarch in the fall, having all they're not laying eggs in the fall, but they are trying to fuel up. And they and monarchs are one of the few migrants that arrives to their destination fatter than when they start. And and that's because as they're traveling south to, to Mexico, to the forest, they're eating as much as they are, excuse me, they're drinking as much nectar as they can. And then they get to Mexico, and it's just this, such this amazing phenomenon. They'll actually 
cluster in the branches of the trees in Mexico at about 10,000 feet above sea level where it's pretty cold. Because they're cold-blooded, they'll remain inactive, and they'll actually live off their fat reserves for most of the winter. So there's just all these little secrets. And, you know, it's like one of the things is, like, the more I peddled with them, the more I learned about them, just the more amazed I was and the the more I fell in love with the monarchs. Oh, it's interesting when you talk about migration. When I remember driving from Tucson, I was going to Joshua Tree, yeah, and I was taking more of the roads that are closer to the border areas. And it's, it's really beautiful. It's actually following the Juan Batista de Anza National Historic Trail on these uh, areas. And there was a caterpillar migration. They were crossing over the road everywhere. And I was like, this is amazing. I was filming them. I'm like, they're just, they're all on this. I didn't know caterpillars did that. I, I see it with tarantulas and, you know, other, you know, cool bugs. But I did not know caterpillars did that. Well, that's something that you you notice things like that, especially when you're on a bike or when you're walking, because you have yeah. to really slow down. And I what I notice on my bike tour is that I every, so every species is a little different, right? And I would notice certain caterpillars were always crossing the road. Like I would always be noticing like the tent caterpillars crossing the road. But on my entire ten thousand mile trip, I only saw two monarch caterpillars crossing the road. And and I think oh. what it is is monarch. Monarchs will feed on milkweed, and then they will leave the milkweed to find a spot to to make their chrysalis. I don't think they're on the move quite like other species, and so I love that. I love how you get to know animals by just really paying attention. and And I saw so many monarch caterpillars. Like I got so good at it. I not to brag, but I could like spot a monarch caterpillar going ten miles an hour. I'd often look for like. On the milkweed, wherever the monarch will chew, there'll be like that white latex sap will kind of ooze out, and it'll form these like horseshoe-shaped white marks on mm. the milkweed. And I'd see one of those, and I'd slam on my brakes, and then I'd dive into the into the <laughs> the ditches. And there's just there's so much happening along the roads. And I think, like you said, like making those observations is really just kind of connects you to the world, and it leaves you with a lot more questions than answers. I know. It's so cool. When we did our trip into Sequoia National Park uh, the other day, we went with the naturalist, uh, Rebecca uh, Jones, and she she was awesome because we had, we were just taking it really slow through the giant forest, and that way we could see all the bugs. And the first thing we did see was a caterpillar, actually. <laughs> it was like, True. I love them. It was so cool. They, they was like, do, 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 do. Anyway, through <laughs> the bushes, you know. And I, I'm I'm like that about spiders, all of it. I wanna, I wanna, I'm into the bug world. Because I think that they're um, often feared. Butterflies are like, oh, they're pretty, you know, that's great. But I think we've got to look at how important these species are. Um, I remember doing a thing on butterflies and realizing that if we took down this one yucca type of plant, uh, one yucca species, that one, one, it was one butterfly or one moth, specific moth species, would lose all of its food because it only had to have that species. And mm-hmm. from there, exactly. that does, it does circle back to us, doesn't it? I mean, when you think about it, we're all connected in the web of life. And butterflies are part of right. it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's one of the yeah. things I love most about the monarch is I actually call them gateway bugs because you're right. It's easy to fall in love with a butterfly, especially a, a bright orange, beautiful one. They're, the monarch is pretty easy to recognize. They're like kind of floppy flyers. They don't just like zoom by so you can get good looks at them. But what I noticed is that you fall in love with the adult, and then you're like, oh, I want to learn more. So you learn about the caterpillars. So you really start getting in the weeds. 
and you're crawling mm. around and you discover not just the caterpillars, but you discover the spiders. And I think when you really start to look, I always say people look, but they don't see. When you start to really look and actually see all the creatures, you see their beauty. You see that every creature is worth noticing and worth celebrating and worth and worth protecting and, and giving habitat to. Absolutely. I, I think they all have a place and and are they're part of a cycle that has to stay the same. You remove one species and it's going to affect, even though we at this point probably don't know how certain species, if they go away, affect us. I'm pretty sure there's going to be an effect, you know. We just haven't exactly. studied, yeah, we haven't studied long enough for all of the species to know what the effect really is going to be. Yes, yes. And I think we're mm-hmm. learning that, you know, the mm-hmm. news is kind of depressing and, and we're learning all those things. But that's a, another thing about the monarch that's so great is like when you protect the monarch, you are protecting so many other plants and animals. And, and it doesn't need to be the monarch. It can be whatever species really just calls to you. And if you set aside land, set aside space on your land and your, in your front yard and your backyard, wherever that may be, to, to help that, that species that it, you're drawn to, you're going to help the monarch. You're going to help the caterpillars that you don't know the names of. You're going to help mm-hmm. the, the entire planet. And that's a really beautiful lesson that we all need to learn. I I love what you say about that because the gardens, if in planting native plants, uh, National Wildlife Federation has that wonderful program where you can become a certified backyard habitat. And it's like watching wildlife. You know, you can plant that's something cool. that's correct for the, it's basically don't, it's, we need to look at our backyards as not being part of the dead zone. You know, we we look at dead zones in the ocean, but we're doing it by sometimes planting the wrong plants or, um, you know, having water sources for, um, you know, put, put, you can put um, like sponges and water together and, and butterflies will come and puddle. You know, there's all kinds of cool things you can do in your backyard. And they're so nice to watch birds. Everybody will come in and you'll have a whole ecosystem. It's something we've noticed. And I know, Sarah, that you hang out in rest areas and wildlife refuges like we do. And um, <laughs> some of the rest areas, I've, I want to start a map of rest areas across the country because some of them have got memorials, but some of them, there seems to be some program where they're doing pollinator gardens at these at these rest areas, which I think is pretty cool because when you get these big highways and everything, a lot of the land just gets ruined on the side of the road, of the highways. It becomes kind of toxic. So by doing these gardens, does that help kind of mitigate what's going on in the roadway? It, it does. And there's actually quite a few programs happening to create corridors. For monarchs and other pollinators, there's the Monarch Highway program that they're trying to get off the ground that um, spans the I-35 corridor that runs through the Midwest. There's actually legislation right now to um, help support municipalities to plant natives. And and it's totally true. Like, if you ride your bike across the United States or even drive or whatever, however it is that you're traveling, you are going to just – Start, if you start to look at all the places that are are wasted, are wasted space, it's good. It, mm-hmm. It'll drive you nuts. It'll like, <laughs> I, and I honestly got kind of mad on the trip, and I definitely had an anger in me because I was seeing the world through the eyes of the monarch, and I saw just so much green grass, and it's like we have to water that, oh. and fertilize that, and put it's chemicals so on it, and for what? For yeah, what? We've so decided wrong. that's beautiful, but mm-hmm. we I just have to why. have a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Well, we've decided, we we think that's beautiful, and it's just, it, we're trying to be good neighbors, 
and we're trying to like, you know, be, yeah, like be a good neighbor. And what I, what I want people to realize, and I hope that my book showcases is that we have to be good neighbors to the more than human creatures. So we have to be good neighbors to monarchs and to the bees and to the birds. And to do that, you take out the grass and you replace it with natives. And if you you can do that on the roadside, you can do that in your yard. And, and when you do that, it's win-win because not only are you going to have an adventure and get all these beautiful creatures visiting you, but you're also going to save a lot of money on watering. You're going to help filter, filter the water. You're going to help carbon sequester and, and you're going to not have to spend your, all your, your entire summer mowing. <laughs> so yeah. start small. If it's a little scary, start small. And then I think the best way is just, every year add a little bit more and and in doing so you'll be an example that your neighbors will see and that that slowly slowly we can make a paradigm shift and see see a little bit wilder yard as as what is actually beautiful mm. they are about that, way Nancy. more beautiful they really mm-hmm. are you know i mean because you get all these different kind of flowers and different plants and trees it's far more interesting. You get way more birds that way too, and butterflies and other insects. It's it's so much more interesting than this flat green grass. And, and you get you color. Know, yeah, we actually know a person who pulled out her lawn and then she went you. and put astroturf down in, oh, the, yeah. in the backyard. And it's like, what is what is with this big flat green look? I I understand <laughs> it for. Um, Football Uh-oh. or something. Rant coming up. <laughs> you know, but I don't understand. Really, it isn't. It isn't because of the uh, maintenance. Because it is more maintenance. I don't know what it is that makes us think that that's pretty. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, we were sold on that idea, and and people yeah. are changing. There is some incredible movements out there to, like you said, like the waste station programs to to hmm. bring and share nature. And and like you mm. said, you, it's not just national parks. If we rely on national parks and wildlife refuges to be the last stronghold to save all the creatures yeah. on the planet, we will fail. Yeah, like, yeah that's it's impossible. A, that's, yeah, and it's we have to learn that we are part of nature. Yeah, I I want hotels and office buildings and places like that, and more more. Like we started, we started only documenting park, national park uh, units, and then we quickly learned, and we changed the name of our tour and everything, the Love Your Parks tour. That every single park matters. Every they are saying that even just for quality of quality of life for a family, that every family needs to have a park within 10 miles from them, so that they can keep up with their health and um, whether it's mindfulness or meditation or just fresh air, uh, but it could be exercise or walking. But it, if we could get more parks and public lands, but even the, the, the business world adopted this idea of having, um, you know, way stations out in their gardens and planting native plants that will save them money on water. But places that people go to all the time, I think that would be really great because like the highway program, people know about, you know, pollinator gardens just because they're stopping to go to the rest area. They see a pollinator garden, they go, oh, look at all the butterflies. Oh, how pretty is this? Oh, we should do that at home. So that's why I want more corporate people to do it. Bed and breakfast, all of that. And a lot of bed and breakfasts are doing that, actually. We've stayed in a lot of bed and breakfast, and they're starting mm. to do the native plant thing. And so the more we do, the better, and more people like you. But listen, I know that you slept in wildlife refuges, uh, but you've slept in people's homes. 
Um, how did that even come around? Did people see you on the bicycle and say, hey, do you need a place to sleep? What, what's going on with that? Yes, all of the above. I, I didn't have a really set schedule when I set off, and that was purposeful because the, if I didn't know where I was going to be most, most days, most nights, then that gave me the, the time and space to say yes when I received invitation. And one of my rules, bike touring, is, is as long as I feel safe, always say, say yes to opportunity, always say yes to invitation. And so I would meet people at grocery stores and they'd say, hey, do you want to come to my house? And I would say yes. And, and the other thing <laughs> is there's this incredible network of people taking care of the monarch. And they are dedicated and passionate and strong. And I didn't, I didn't, I underestimated how incredible they were when I first started. But what happened is one would find out, one person would find out and they would, they would tell their friends and their network. And then all of a sudden I'd get all these other emails and, you know, it came to the point where I'd have to look at a map and be like, I can't add 300 miles to my trip because I'm running out of time and my legs are tired. But as, <laughs> if, if they were even, even kind of close, like I would, I wouldn't hesitate to add 50 miles most of the time to 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 visit someone who had energy to help the monarch because and because what happened is I realized that was also bonding me to the monarch right the experience of like the same people helping the monarch were helping me and in mm. that way our trips were really similar I, I I love that because with you going around I mean that it happens with us too it's like this interesting thing happens you I feel like we're having conversations on a it's it's not like okay you're on the show all these people are going to hear you, but there's a something too to just having these personal one-on-one conversations with people about a cause that you care about. I almost feel like we feel our energy to do that and to touch as many more people as we can by being just that one-on-one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have like a total cheesy metaphor that I love and it gets me through the day and I think about it. It's when when I was in Mexico the monarchs cling from the branches and mm. and they're, they're inactive most of the year. But then when the sun comes out, they'll actually start flying about. And if it's just one, you can't hear them. But when there's thousands, it becomes this like beautiful humming song. And it's just so spectacular. And I spent hours just with my eyes closed listening to the sound of butterfly wings. And I think, mm. wow, that's such a perfect metaphor for, for all of our conservation efforts because my voice alone would just be, you know, a voice. But when you're talking on behalf of nature and, and I am and then all the people we reach share their the short, their stories and their passion and their voice, well, all of a sudden a lot of people are talking. And that's that's a voice that's loud and, and can't and can't be ignored. Mm. Everyone's out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. And we've got to, you know, stand up for issues of, you know, stand up and sign those petitions and call people, make those calls, make those conversations happen, even on a local level, right? When, if you want something to happen, you walk into to your city council and, and say something, you know, call your mayor and say, hey, I want, you know, a Monarch way station in the park, you know, the parks and rent. Yeah. The more native plants you have, the cheaper it is on water. <laughs> it really is. Exactly. True. And there's actually even, there's the Monarch's mayor pledge that you can talk to your to your mayor about about doing a few a few things to help be, put your put your town on the map and pledge your support to the monarch with action. Ooh, I like that. Mm. Now I want to go travel according to butterflies. <laughs> no, well, yeah, but you know it is funny when you think about um, maybe funny is not the right word odd um, 
that we like we have three states we've been through just very recently, New Mexico, Arizona, and California, who are all suffering from a drought, but they got green lawns. So, mm-hmm. you know, so all that extra effort to have a lawn when you find yourself in need of water, perhaps mm-hmm. if we didn't have so many lawns, we would have more water, you think? Possibly. For sure. I, I don't know if this is, this, don't quote me on this, but I saw, because I'm in California, I saw a poster, and it was like, per square foot, a lawn uses more water than a swimming pool. Oh, wow. And I don't I don't know if that's, like, site-specific to where I was. That was on the east side of the Sierra, which is very dry. But hmm. the point being is we have to prioritize. We have a limited amount of space, and we have a limited amount of, of water, and and hmm. what? how are we going to use that? And yeah. then, quite frankly, it can be put to use. I'd rather drink water than water some some grass that especially when there's not even kids playing on it or a football game like you were saying like mm-hmm. there is room to have both but right now right, we're yes. choosing just grass in so many occasions yeah. and we have to well, learn to share. Yeah. I think that one thing you can do it's like if you have kids and a dog and you want to have a play area just have a play area with that patch of grass. You don't need the whole lawn, you know, or you have one, you know, like if you have the field and if you have a field you know, a park with a nice grassy area, then that's what everybody uses. You know, that's why I think communities coming together, we can utilize one lawn instead of, you know, each of us having our own lawn is my point. And that way a community is even stronger together. They start playing together and doing things together more. So I think there's a lot of solutions and it's, um, yeah, we can, we can blur the lines of all this, all that, or no, none of this, all of that, you know, I think we can blur the lines and exactly. kind of start compromising is the first step. So are you going to do another journey like this? <laughs> well, I would love to. I've I've um, done done a lot of other trips. I've done canoeing and walking mm-hmm. trips in the United States and, and lots and lots of biking. I think I've gone about 80,000 miles on my bike. And, oh, wow. And so I would I would love to keep keep making adventures happen. Right now the book is – is the adventure. And I, I love the idea awesome. that the monarch led me on, on the bike ride. And now the monarch is leading me down this, this book adventure. And we'll, we'll see, we'll see where, where the path goes. Mm. Well, I'm wow. going to start reading it too. Na- well, Nancy's mm. pretty much told me every word. <laughs> <laughs> She's all, and this happened and that happened. You know? So it's, 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 it's also a travel story. Uh, you know, there's the mm-hmm. monarch, but it's also an adventure story, you know, as well, which is exciting. Everyone needs that. Right. People would see me people would see me in New York and they'd say, You're gonna bike to Mexico and I'd be like yeah. Well, yeah, but look at there's that little caterpillar right there in your yard. They that caterpillar might fly to Mexico or at least it, it's it's kids might. That's also awesome and so I hope to add a, a human human element, a human scale to the story to to just showcase how brilliant these animals are. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, So everyone, the book is out now by Sarah Dykeman, and it's S-A-R-A and D-Y-K-M-A-N. Sarah Dykeman, it's called Bicycling with Butterflies, My 10,201-Mile Journey Following the Monarch Migration. You can go to beyondabook.org. So that's a nonprofit that you have, right? It's it's more like a website. It's not technically a nonprofit, but... I do not make a profit from it. <laughs> and it's just sort of my hub. umbrella. 
Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a hub for my educational trips and to kind of just a one-stop shop to to learn about adventure and all the the great the great things in the world that are worth stopping to to look at. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're going to close off with a song called Lulu's Lullaby because there's butterflies in the song, so we wanted to play that for you. Uh, Everyone, this is uh, by Allison August. You can keep up with her at allisonaugustmusic.com. It's from her album, Holy Water. See, she's she's in tune with us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't, 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 Don't waste the water, but here it is, Lulu's Lullaby. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Happy travels. Yeah, you Same too. Take